All right. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you. I'm, I'm excited about this series. And, and uh, you know, I don't always come across as the most excited person up here on the platform, but I just have to let you know I'm jumping up and down on the inside, okay? I've been really, really excited about this series. And uh, we started talking about this a few months ago. And I was like, man, there's so many good prayers in the Bible. So what prayer would I want to pray? I mean, what prayer would I pray for my church family this year specifically? And so I started thinking about that and praying about it. And after a week or two, I just knew which prayer I wanted to pray for you. I mean, I pray for my church family all the time, but I knew which prayer if I had to pick one. I mean, I love my church family. You guys are a great body, but great family, a great group of believers. And I want God's best for you. And I, I knew this is what I have to pray for my church. And not only that, I thought, you know what? This is what I want for my family. This is what I want to pray for my wife. This is what I want to pray for my kids. And this is what I want you to pray for me. So are you ready to jump in? You want to know what it is? All right, well, let's, we're, going to, we're going to talk about this today, a prayer of relationship. I hope you'll grab your outline and follow along. And in this prayer, Jesus prayed all about our relationships. And you know, when I think about the Bible, the Bible really, the whole book of the Bible is about relationships. It's a story of, of us, of how God created us. He created us for relationship. He didn't need us, but he desired to create beings who were made in his image, who had the freedom to choose whether or not they would worship God and honor him. And he created us. And we see very quickly how it went south, how we begin to sin. We sin and it broke our relationship with God. In fact, the Bible says we've all sinned. None of us are without sin. And, and, and apart from God, the Bible says we're lost. We're like separated from him. We don't have that relationship. We're disconnected. And what do we do? What do we do when someone gets lost? What do we do? We look for them, right? That's not a trick question. So when, <laughs> when somebody gets lost, we look for them, right? I mean, I get texts on my phone when there's a missing person report in Fremont or Union City. You know, we have search and rescue teams. When someone gets lost, we look for them. And it reminds me of this story, this, this little boy, you know, uh, his dad's boss. His dad's boss was boss of this big company. And one day, one of his key employees had the day off. He was at home. But wouldn't you know it, the computer systems went down. And there was nobody else who could get it working. And so the boss had to call this employee. Uh, he had to call him to get everything up and running again. Around Crossroads, we call that person Lance. We call Lance on his day off when things don't work. And so we said, what are, he calls him up and the little boy answers his dad's cell phone. He answers the phone, and the boss says, hello, uh, may, may I speak to your dad? And the little boy says, no, he's busy. And the boss says, oh, okay then, can I speak to your mom? Is your mom home? Yes, she's busy too. Uh, well, was there any adult there that I could talk to? Is there anyone I could talk to? And he goes, yes, there's a policeman here. Well, could you put him on the phone, please? Oh, no, he's busy talking to mommy and daddy. What, 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 what are they talking about? Oh, oh, now the fireman's here too. Now he's all excited and the boss is getting really worried and here's this noise, you know, that unmistakable noise in the background of a helicopter. And he goes, what's going on, young man? Is there a helicopter coming there? Oh yeah, the helicopter's landing right now. He's so excited. Boss says, well, why is the helicopter there? Oh, they're looking for someone. Boss says, well, who are they looking for? Little boy says, me. <laughs> hiding, you know. What do you do? When, what do you do when someone's missing? You look for them, right? When they're lost. And you know what? The Bible is also the story of God searching for you and for me. It's the story of Jesus. 
It's really a story of relationships with God and with each other. It's the story of Jesus. And it all revolves around him because he's God's plan to bring us back into relationship with God. He was God's plan from the very beginning. And so the Bible revolves around Jesus. Our human history revolves around Jesus. And in fact, our very lives and destiny revolves around how we respond and what we choose to do with Jesus. But here's what Jesus said about himself there on top of your outline. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus said, my mission, the reason I came here is to look for lost people, to look for people who are far from God, who don't know him. He came to look for us. And not only did he look for us, but he paid the price so that we could be forgiven and made right with God. Jesus chose to go to the cross because God desires a relationship with you and me. It's all about relationships. And that's what it all boils down to. And when you read the story of Jesus, you remember the story he's on his way, you know, to, to Jerusalem for the crucifixion, but the night before he gets, you know, when he's going to get arrested, he, has, he shares his last supper with his disciples, and he teaches them a few last important lessons. And as they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prays for himself before he went to the cross, and he asks God if it's possible to take that cup away from him. They're on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you know Jesus stops, and he prayed for you and for me? I mean, can you imagine He knew what was coming. He knew he was going to be tortured, rejected, humiliated, and killed. Man, if that was me, I'd be so nervous and scared and worried. I'd just be praying for myself. But he stopped and prayed for you and for me. And so I think it's very important that we understand, man, that's got to be a big prayer to pray for us right before he's going to go die for us. So the first thing he prayed is that we would know him and his father. Number one, we would know him and his father. Jesus looked towards heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might judge and condemn everyone. No, that's not why Jesus came. That's what some people think God's all about. But no, he came to do what? He came that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Can you underline that phrase, give eternal life? He came to give eternal life, but I don't want you to miss the next part because I've had people tell me, you know, Dwayne, I don't know if I want to live forever. I might get bored after a while. I mean, what are we going to do in heaven all the thousands of years? I'm going to get bored. I'm like, no, it's more than just living forever. Jesus even defined it for us. Look what he says. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. <clears throat> Jesus said eternal life is to have a relationship with God. And there's, there's two important things I need to say about knowing God. First, knowing about God, knowing about God is not enough. There's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God, between believing there's one God and believing in God. So I want you to go back to that verse, and I want you to circle that word know. I want you to start, exclamation point, whatever you do, because that word is so important. Jesus prayed that you and I would know the Father and the one that he sent, the Son, Jesus. And that word in Hebrew, uh, in Greek is genosko, which means to know, especially through personal experience. To know, especially through personal experience. And let me tell you how they would use this word uh, in other cases. I mean, it was used in their culture in Hebrew and Greek. It was like a euphemism. You know, like we say, we say someone slept together, right? We know what that means. They didn't just go to sleep. When we say they slept together, in, in their, their language, uh, they would say, you know, hey, he, 
he knew her in the biblical sense. You've heard that, right? He knew her. He, she knew him. And it's a phrase of intimacy. It's a, it's a phrase, it captures the idea that you really know someone. And so they would use it like in that euphemism to kind of express that. In fact, when, uh, in Luke chapter 1, when the angel came to Mary and said, you're going to have a baby, what did Mary say? She said, how can this be? I haven't, I haven't known a man. I don't know a man. I don't have personal experience. I'm a virgin. I, I, how could this be? And so know, know about is very different than know. Okay, somebody, what's a, who's a famous person you would really like to get to know? Who, who is that? Somebody? Steph Curry. Steph Curry. Oh, that's, that's three services in a row, Steph Curry. Everybody wants to know Steph. I wish Steph had run for president while, while we're on that. So have you ever hung out with Steph? Do you actually know Steph Curry? I mean, you never got to spend any, me either. I did not got to spend any time with him here. But, you know, we all know who he is, right? We know about basketball player for the Warriors. I mean, we know things about his life. They write magazine articles about him. They do little specials on him during the game. We know things about his family and his cute little kids and his wife who can cook, right? We all know about Steph Curry, but we don't know Steph. Does that, that'd be different to hang out with him and really get to know what he's like, right? What is, what is he really like as a person? See, Jesus prayed we would know God, not know about God. We would really know him. We'd get connected with him. We would experience him. Let me give you a different example. Like, I like to watch nature shows sometimes on TV. And uh, it's always so beautiful when you see the, the coral reefs with all the colorful fish and all the amazing creatures. But a few years ago, I got to snorkel for the first time, actually snorkel in a reef in Hawaii. Man, it's, it's, you can't compare watching it on TV to doing it yourself. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's one thing to see it and know about it, but it's another thing to experience it. So Jesus said, I want you to experience and know God. I want you to have this relationship. I mean, that's the very reason he's going to the cross, so that it would be possible for you to have that relationship, that you could be forgiven. And here's the reality. Most Americans would say that they know God, that they know there's a God, they believe there's a God. Now, they're not saying they necessarily committed to following him, but they know about him. Well, here's what the Bible says about that in James. He said, uh, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Way to go. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. You know, he's saying it's not enough to know there's a God. You You have to know him. You have to know God. And God warns us that just knowing about him and his existence is not enough. And he also gives us another warning in the Bible. Second thing you need to know about knowing God. Knowing God, if you really know God, it's going to produce life change in you. Your life, you're going to be different. It's going to change you. And so this is a very important warning. Don't miss this. You know, warning labels on things are very important. They tell us how to use things and how to not use things so that we don't get hurt or kill ourselves, right? But sometimes it gets a little ridiculous. You've heard about those lawsuits, right? Like, like this is a real story. This company that made basketball nets, a guy was playing basketball, he went to dunk, he got his teeth hung in the net and he got hurt, and he sued the company and he won $50,000. I mean, is that the company's fault? And so this group in Michigan, they made this contest every year, they did do a contest to find the five, you know, dumbest, now now all the manufacturers want to warn people not to do stupid stuff with their products, because they know they might get sued, right? I just wanted to share a few of these with you, because they're so worried about warning people so they don't get in trouble. There was an electric router made for carpenters. It said, this product not intended for use as a dental drill. You know, 
case you want, in case you want to do your own dentistry at home and save some money because dentists are expensive, right? Uh, how about this? A prescription on sleeping pills says warning may cause drowsiness. So if you fall asleep driving, don't sue me. You were warned, right? Well, so it's supposed to do. A sticker on a toilet at a public facility in Ann Arbor actually warns recycled flush water unsafe for drinking. Thank you for that warning. Okay, a snowblower has a, has a tag on it that says, do not use snowblower on roof. Now, that looks pretty fun to me, actually, but you might fall off, right? A household iron warns users, never iron clothes while they are being worn. I'd like to have an iron like that, actually. You ever pull on your shirt and you go, oh, it's all wrinkly, and you just... <clears throat> a card, you know those cardboard car sh- sun shields you put in your dash to keep your car cooler? They have, some of them have a warning that says, do not drive with sunshield in place. That would explain a lot of the drivers on the road, right? And at least if I had the shield up, I couldn't see them all giving me the finger. Okay, so a warning label found on a baby stroller cautions, remove child before folding. Wow. I mean, you know, warnings, right? Well, Jesus gave us a very sobering warning. He said this, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. I mean, some people probably say, I went to church and I read my Bible and I believed about you and I served on the welcome team or the kids ministry. I even served in the student ministry with junior hires. I put money in the offering regularly. Or I was even a pastor. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. And what Jesus was saying, he's not saying you're going to be perfect, you're never going to have any sins. But you know, sometimes people that just know about Jesus, they have these patterns of sin in their life that they never wrestle with, they never struggle with. They just kind of, they think they're okay because they know the right stuff and they do the right stuff, the religious stuff, but there's no evidence in their life. The way they talk to people is still harsh and mean and unkind. They, the way they, they live, their priorities, the way they spend their money, it's all about me. They're, they're, the way they treat other people. Um, Jesus is warning us, if you truly know God, if you really experience his love, you can't help but be different. If you really know God, you're going to begin to be a more loving person. You're gonna, the Bible says you're going to be, you're gonna be, uh, have more uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You're, you're gonna, the way you, you use your money, you're going to begin to give back to God. You're going to fight the urge to gossip. You're going to fight that urge to sleep around or move in with your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever it is, struggle, whatever it is you struggle with. Those natural temptations we all have. You're going to fight that temptation. You're going to be more of a peacemaker than a fighter. And so God's going to begin to change you. Does it make sense? Like you'll be different. You're not going to be perfect. But Jesus is saying there's some people, they go around and they're they're doing all the, they they do all the right looking religious stuff, but then they don't really know me. They don't really know the Father. And he said, here's the warning. If you don't know me, you can't enter heaven with me. So having the right beliefs, having the right belief system is not enough. And that's why before Jesus went to the cross so you could be forgiven and know, and know God, that's why on the way to the cross, he stopped and he prayed that you would know God. He stopped and prayed that you would experience God and it will change your life. And it's one of the main reasons I came to this church 
Because I saw a church where I heard people's stories of how God was changing them, how he was changing their families, their lives, how they lived. And they're not perfect people, but they were growing and changing. They were in process. And that's what Jesus is saying. There has to be some evidence. That's why the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.8, should be up on the screen, I consider everything a loss because of the, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, the most important thing in life is to know God. And that's what Jesus prayed for you. And that's what I want to pray for you this year. And I hope you'll pray for me that we know God in a growing way. In fact, you know, Jesus came when he died for us and we receive him. He does save us from our sins and he, and he saves us from hell. But what he's really saving us is not saving us from something. He's saving us for something. He's saving us for a relationship. You are so precious to Jesus. He stopped and he prayed for you on his way to the cross. And there's good news. No matter where you're at in life, God desires that relationship with you. You just have to turn to him and open up your life and surrender to him and begin to experience him and know him. Now, to really know and experience God, you start with a simple prayer. But then you have to make some effort, just like to get to know anyone else. If I wanted to get to know Steph Curry or anybody else, I got to spend some time with them to really get to know them. So I got to spend some time reading God's word, praying, listening to God, maybe journaling that might help you to write down so you can focus and write down your thoughts and what God's saying to you. Maybe uh, some Christian music to help you focus, experience God out, whatever. You got to spend some time. Sometimes I just take a walk by myself and I'm enjoying nature and I'm thinking about God and all he created. So it's so important. It'll change your life. There's nothing Jesus wants more for you. And the second thing he prayed about relationship is that we would know one another, that we would truly know. You remember he said the greatest commands is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And in John, in this prayer, Jesus said, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Can you underline that phrase? All of them may be one. Jesus' heart was that we would experience him, and then he created us for these relationships with each other as well. And so he puts us in a church family, a body, and he wants us to be one. And you know, that unity, that idea of being one, that's our, one of our greatest strengths as followers of Jesus. You know, God gives us his Holy Spirit to help us follow him and change us. And then he gives us each other to help care for one another and encourage each other and teach each other and serve one another. And it's one of our greatest strengths. So where do you think Satan's going to attack a church if he wants to destroy it? He's going to attack the unity. He's going to attack the relationships. He's going to do everything he can to tear us apart. And so he prayed that we would be one. It reminds me of, uh, you know, the Chinese. They, they developed and invented and created so many things long before everybody else. Such an ingenious culture. And years back, they were facing all these uh, enemies from the north. So they said, Let's, we're tired of getting attacked and people getting slaughtered. Let's build this big wall and we can defend ourselves. So they built the Great Wall. It's so amazing that people still go there to see it today, you know, to, on, on a tourist trip, Right. They built this wall. It was so high and so thick, and it had gates every so often with armed guards. On top of the wall is wide enough for them to ride horses or chariots down it. Wherever they were being attacked, they could send troops down the top of this wall. And so they built this huge wall. And do you know in the first hundred years after they built the wall, China was invaded three times through this wall. And you know what happened? 
was some of the gatekeepers were bribed to open the gates. And so the armies were able to flood through. See, these gatekeepers, they stopped thinking about we, and they started thinking about me. They started thinking about their benefit. And so they weren't connected. They didn't really know. They didn't really care about their countrymen. They just thought about what they could get out of it, and they opened up these gates. And when we, we neglect that, the unity in the body of Christ, we risk being invaded by the enemy. And so, again, God warns us about this. What does it look like to be one? How do we treat each other? How do we maintain and promote unity? The book of Ephesians says so much about the church and how it should function in our relationships. So look at this passage with me. I want you to circle a few words here. Be completely humble and gentle. We circle humble and gentle. Being one, being united. It takes some humility to think about others, not just yourself. Being gentle. Be patient. Circle the word patient. I, I'm not naturally patient. I really have to work on that one. So I don't know about you guys. Maybe you like being patient. I have to struggle with that. Bearing with one another in love. Circle the word love. Those are some great qualities that help build oneness and unity. And then God tells us this. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Can you underline that phrase, make every effort? Make every effort to keep the unity. And here's what unifies us. We're unified because we know God. There's one, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Jesus said, he prayed that we would know God, and then he prayed that everybody who knows God would be unified. They would have a common purpose. They would care for each other and love each other, just like God loves us. And that's what he prayed for us. And that's what I want to pray for you, and I hope you'll pray that for me. And we have to make some effort. It's not enough to just say, I want to be unified. I want us all to be connected. You have to make some effort. Obviously, we all can't be best friends with everybody, but we need to get connected with parts of the body. And it takes some time. We have to give up some things. I'd say most of you in this room, you would say you're too busy. Your life's just out of control. You're just busy. Go, go, go. Responsibilities, commitments. And we just live in this world that it just, everything about us, it just makes us, it pulls us away from each other. And so we have to make an effort. I mean, I just want to challenge you. If you're too busy to get into a life group, into one of our small groups, maybe you have to work out your schedule so you can leave work early one day a week so you can get into a small group because you need to be connected with some other people. Maybe say, I'll be impossible. My commute's just too long. Well, I want to challenge you. We don't have any groups on the weekend right now. I'd love to have a Saturday group or a Sunday group. Maybe God put it on your heart to start a new group so you can meet with some people. Maybe for you, what it's going to look like is, you know, maybe you're in a group, but maybe, you know, maybe once a month, you need to just hang out with somebody, go to dinner, go to a movie, take a walk. Maybe after a service, invite somebody to go to lunch or go to coffee. Just get, you know, say once a month, I'm going to connect with somebody. I'm going to spend some time getting to know them. And not only that, but I'm going to, I'm going to look and I see some needs around me. Whose needs can I help meet? Because that's part of protecting the unity, serving others. But we can't keep making excuses. Again, we've got to spend some time. Now, this Wednesday, if you've never been in a group or you haven't been in a group at Crossroads and you're like, I don't know anybody. I don't, I'm kind of, a lot of times people kind of chicken out. They want to get in a group, but they, they kind of chicken out. I know how it is. But this Wednesday, I want to invite you to join me in this room right here at seven o'clock. 
And we're going to have a small group. I want to give you a small group experience. We're going to break into some small groups. I'm just going to ask you to try it one time. If you're not committed to getting in a group, would you come and try it? And then my goal is you would come and you'd you'd enjoy it. And you go, you know, that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. I I thought it was going to be like really intimidating meeting all these other people. That was actually fun. And then you would want to come back or get connected in another group. So you come and try this. Just come get linked up with a group. And find, it, find out. Just, so you can try it. And that way if you decide, I don't like it, well, you're not going to hurt anybody's feelings because we're not going to keep meeting on Wednesdays in here. And here's the beautiful thing. Guess what? You can go to some. I mean, I, my goal is you will meet some people and go to their group. But here's the beautiful thing. This Wednesday, some of you, you say, well, I got kids. I can't go. We have the kids' ministry program starting back up this Wednesday. What a coincidence. Thank you, Dory and Cassandra. So we have the kids' ministry. You can bring your kids. Check them in the kids' program. They'll have a great time. And you can come over here, and you can experience what it's like to be in a group. In fact, you know, you can join a Wednesday group after that, and they let you drop off your kids a little early so you can drive over to somebody's house. So, you know, no excuses. After the service today, maybe you're already committed to getting in a group. Some of our leaders are here in these yellow shirts. They'll be out in the lobby. You can talk to some of them about their group or about other groups. But you've got to make some time. You look around the church and you go, man, we have so many kids, so many people. What could I do to help? Maybe you get on the welcome team. Maybe you work in the nursery. Maybe you step up and say, I'll work with the junior hires or the high school students, or I'll teach the first through sixth graders, or whatever it might be. I'll get on, I'll get on the sight and sound team, but... You get invested somewhere where you're helping meet some needs and helping spread the love. We have a care ministry that cares for people who are hurting and uh, sick, going through grief. They help them. God's, God's put you in this body, and he wants you to make every effort to help protect it and keep the unity. See, here's how a lot of us live. I, I came across this prayer. It's just so honest. Here's how a lot of us live. I knelt to pray when day was done and prayed, Lord, bless everyone. Lift from each heart the pain and let the sick be well again. And then I woke again one day and carelessly went on my way. The whole day long I did not try to wipe a tear from any eye. I did not try to share the load of any brother on the road. I did not even go to see the sick man just next door to me. Yet once again when every day was done, I prayed, Lord, bless everyone. But as I prayed to my ear came a voice that whispered, Dear, Pause, hypocrite, before you pray. Whom have you tried to bless today? God's sweetest blessings always go by hands that serve him here below. And then I hid my face and cried, Forgive me, Lord, for I have lied. Let me live but another day, and I will live the way I pray. You know, we have to make some effort. We have to sacrifice. We have to give up. We have to st- Sometimes we have to be willing to embarrass ourselves to step out and serve someone, to get to know someone, to help them out. We need each other. I mean, I need you and you need me and we need people around us who are there for us when we go through the storms of life. And here, <clears throat> so Jesus prayed for God's best for you. He prayed that you would know the Father and the one he sent and he prayed that we would be one, we'd be unified. I mean, it will bless your life so much. So he prayed what would be best for us, but you know what? Here's the beautiful thing. What did Jesus say he came to do? To seek and to save the lost, right? Those people who don't know God. Jesus knew if we know God and we're committed to each other, he knew that his mission would continue to be accomplished. Because here's the result. He said, if you know God and you love each other and you build the unity, he says, the result is the world will know 
the world will know about God. The world will know that God cares about them and loves them. See, Jesus and his disciples, they changed the world with their love, with their unity, with their commitment for the Father and with, for each other. Jesus prayed this in his prayer. After he prayed for us, he says, I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may, may be one as we are one. That's the second time he said that in his prayer. And then he says, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Can you underline that phrase? Then the world will know. Man, the, when, when the world sees a body of believers who love God and who love each other, whose lives are changing, who are looking out for each other, man, that's powerful. Where else do you see that happening? You look out in the world around us, do you see a lot of unity and caring? I mean, there's a lot of caring people, but, but in the world in general, do you see a lot of unity? Do you see a lot of looking out for your fellow man? It's mostly, I mean, I, I look at it just so much disunity. I mean, the world, to me, feels tenser than it ever has during my life. I mean, there's all this, there's all this racial tension, you know, black versus brown versus white versus yellow. There's, there's Democrats versus Republicans, the haves versus the have-nots, the Raiders fans versus the 49ers fans. You know, it's just all this disunity, right? Hey, let, let me tell you, guys, I really was rooting hard for the Raiders yesterday. I, I was, you guys got a really bad, after all those years, I felt bad for you, really, and you know, what brings us together is not which sports team we like, it's that we know God, right? But you look at the world around us. I mean, it does not get better. And so many people out there, they, they don't feel supported and loved and connected. They don't even know if there's a God who cares about them. And we're, we live that out. And when they see your life and they see your friends and your church family, man, that's attractive to people. And so Jesus knew, not only for our benefit, but for the sake of the world, that if we answered this prayer, was answered in our life, his mission would be carried out. I mean, one of his things he taught the disciples before he prayed, just in the same evening, he said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, you're my followers, if you love one another. See, Jesus didn't change the world with a a military revolution. He didn't he didn't change the world through great music or great mess. I mean, he was a great preacher, but that's not what changed. He didn't change the world through a great marketing campaign. He changed the world through love. And that's what he's called us to do. And that's what God's called us to do individually. My, it, it, to me, it sounds a lot like our vision statement. Could, could you read this with me? Crossroads vision is what? To lead seekers to love Christ, love others, and live life on purpose. See, our, our, my mission in life... My job is to love Christ, love others, and live my life on purpose. And that means trying to help other people, seekers, lost people, love Christ, love others, and live life on purpose. So what's going to be your response? This is what Jesus prayed for you. How are you going to respond to that? I hope you're not just going to leave and go, wow, that was a really nice prayer. I'm really blessed. I hope something's going to be different. So Jesus said this early in his prayer. He says, I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I mean, God's done so much for you, and I know so many of you, you want to do something back for God. You know, the, you can bless God by finishing the work he's given you to do. And that start, you know what the work God's given us is to love him, to know him, and to love others. And if you do that, you're naturally going to find what he made you to do. You're naturally going to find your ministry and your place of service. But he wants us to fulfill that. 
God has work for us to do. So let's get real practical. What does this mean for you and for me? We're all in different places in life and our spiritual journey. We're, we're all in different places of knowing God and knowing each other. We're not all on the same page. But I'm, I'm not asking you to make a New Year's resolution. I'm acti- asking you to have a change in the way you think, to make a commitment. Say, God, help me. Help me do what you made me to do, what you want me to do. Help me to do what you prayed I would do. So the first thing there under my response, number one, here's what I want to ask you to do. Where it says going deeper and knowing God means, well, what does that mean for you? What do you need to do? Do you need to turn off the TV half an hour uh, a day uh, so you have time to read God's Word and pray a little bit and think about Him? Do you need to um, read the Bible? Do you need to maybe get a Bible that you can understand? Maybe you've got that old Bible laying around your house. You don't understand it when you read it. Get a good Bible. Maybe you need to spend some time writing things down, journaling, so that you can, you can actually you know, focus and think. I don't know. It's going to look like different things for different ones of us. But what I want to ask you to do is write that there on your paper. Take a moment and just think about that and write it down. So don't try to write everything you need to do, but what's the one thing that would help you the most right now in knowing God? And if you need more time to wrestle with that, I hope you'll take this home with you. But I want you to shift to the second thing there. What does it mean making every effort to know others? What do you need to do? Where are you at? What do you need to do so you can begin to get to know others and build the unity? How do you get to know some other people here? Do you need to get into a group? Do you need to find a place to serve? Do you just need to ask somebody to go out for a bite to eat or get a cup of coffee? What does it look like for you? Is it time for you to step up and serve and use your gifts to help grow the church, care for the church, or to help out in the world outside of these walls? Take a moment. So maybe you still need to wrestle with that a little bit. I hope you'll take your outline home and read through that prayer. Open up your Bible. Read John 17. Read through how Jesus prayed for you and ask yourself, how is my life going to be different? You can be an answer to Jesus' prayer when you respond to him. But I want to pray for you right now. And God, I pray for each person here that you would give them a hunger to know you more, that you would help them to, to pay the price to spend time with you, to focus on you. God, that you would help them to develop some habits during the day that help them to reflect on you and, and, and turn their thoughts back to you during their busy days. Pray for anyone who's discouraged about it, God. They've just been struggling and no one experienced you and they feel like it's not happening. God, I know that's what you want, so help them not to give up. And God, help us to to be committed to one another, to, to make an every effort for this unity of this amazing church that you've given us. And Lord, thank you most of all that you cared enough about us to not only pray for us, but to do something for us, to lay down your life so that we could be forgiven and free and that we could truly know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.